Calvary Chapel Elizabeth City's online sermon series. Join us this week for Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, with Pastor John King. And to be living in the light of God's will, which is revealed in His Word. And the way it's expressed in our lives is we have a desire to please God. And we have a desire to live a life that bears fruit, spiritual fruit. And we have a desire to have an increasing knowledge of Him. Now today we're going to leave the false teachers and the worldly philosophy. And we're going to come into the real application portion of this letter. You know, what is our responsibility in light of our new life in Jesus? And how does it shape our thinking and desires? What kind of fruit is being produced in my life? Does my character reflect what I profess to believe? How about my private thought life or my social relationships? And those are closest to me. Warren Wiersbe said this, We must keep in mind that the pagan religions of Paul's day said little or nothing about personal morality. A worshiper could bow before an idol, put his offering on the altar, and go back and live the same old life of sin. What a person believed had no direct relationship with how he behaved, and no one would generally condemn a person for their behavior. But the Christian faith brought a whole new concept into pagan society. What we believe has a very definite connection with how we behave, he says. After all, faith in Christ means being united to Christ. And if we share in his life, we must follow his example. We cannot live, or he cannot live in us by his spirit, and at the same time permit us to live in sin. And so let's read our passage. It's a short passage today. He says in verse 1 of chapter 3, he says, If then you were raised with Christ... Seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you for, once again, uh, you know, we come to this place often. We come to the well, if you will, Lord. We come to the well of, of spiritual nutrition, Lord, to your word. And we get to do it corporately. We get to do it together as encouragement. And so, Lord, thank you for giving us a place to meet today. Thank you that your word is being taught. And I pray, Lord God, that you would give me the words to speak, but not my words. Your truth, may it come to bear in all of our lives as you speak to us today. We pray this all in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. And so we start with the things that shape your life in Christ. The things that shape your life in Christ. And also being reminded by Paul that we need to learn how to see the invisible. You know, we, we've got our five senses. But there's something special that the Lord wants to do in a Christian's life that can only be done through the power of the Holy Spirit. Before Paul begins to exhort the church in this chapter concerning sinful habits, you know, the sin list, which we'll see next week. I know you can't wait for that. Um, but before he begins to exhort them on these things, he 
wants to remind them in the first four verses of this chapter by emphasizing the relationship that you have with Christ. You know, it's one thing to say this and to do this or don't do that. But when you realize that you have a relationship with Christ, you, through this teaching, Paul will show us, and by the Holy Spirit, that once again, Christianity is not just another religion, philosophy, or belief system. It's a relationship with the living God through Jesus Christ. No other belief system, no other religion has a God who is that close and relates so perfectly to our situation as our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so he, first he begins in chapter 3, verse 1. Paul begins by reminding them of their spiritual resurrection. And he says, if then you were raised with Christ. Now, he's saying this, uh, he's saying, basically saying, since you were raised with Christ as a consequence, or therefore, um, you have been raised with Christ. It's not a hypothetical situation. It's an accomplished feat, said some one writer. And so since you were raised with Christ, what does that mean to be raised with Christ? It means to raise together. It's the basis of your new life in Christ. It's your spiritual resurrection. You all probably are carrying an ID on you, right? You probably have a picture ID uh, in your wallet and if, or your purse. And if I asked you to show it to me, would, would I be able to recognize you? And of, of course, well, maybe I wouldn't. It depends on how old that ID is. I just realized that. I'm, I'm getting ready to get another driver's license. I, I, I had something going on with that. But if I were to ask you to show me your ID, I would recognize you. Now, a true Christian also has a spiritual ID, a spiritual identification. Friends, keep in mind that God the Father sees you and I so thoroughly in Christ that, of course, your sins are forgiven. Why? Because He identifies you with Christ's death and resurrection. You might say, but I wasn't even alive during Jesus' time on earth. But that's not the point. We're talking about the God of the Bible, whose eternal plan for His people transcends beyond time. His mercy, His righteousness and truth, His word and His love for you and I endures forever. God's supernatural grace abounds from generation to generation. And when a person places their faith and trust in Jesus, it honors God the Father. It honors Him, and because it honors God's Son, God counts us as having actually died and risen with Christ. Now you might say, where does it say that? Well, look at Romans 8:11. It says here, you'll see it, but if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. And we have it all throughout the the, the the New Testament. The point is that your thinking and my thinking and my desires should reflect the completeness that we have in Christ. And you say, how do I do that? Paul answers, seek those things which are above. Seek those things which are above. Now that word seek 
in the Greek, it's a, it's what's known as a, it's a verb. It's, it's a present imperative. It's like when you stand before somebody and they say, you know, take your picture and they say, smile now. It's something you're going to do. You're going to strive after. You're going to endeavor. You're going to desire. You're not going to have a casual take it or leave it. It's a continual pursuit to seek the things which are above. And you, you, might, you could say, well, what, what things are you talking about? Well, really, it's the glory, in, in the broadest sense, it's the glory and the worship of God in Christ. We say, what are, what are things above? Well, it's heavenly things from heaven. I think it's helpful to understand where Jesus is. John 8, 23, when he spoke to his disciples, he said to them, you are from beneath and I am from above. You are of this world, but I am not of this world. And so because of our union with Jesus, because here and elsewhere, and it's commanded by his word, and because he's our exalted Lord, Savior, and intercessor, we are to seek the things that are above. We are to learn to see the unseen things. We take leave of our senses. I mean, we're reading the word, so you're using your eyes. But as you meditate on God's word, you take leave of your senses and you think about what is going on with the Lord and where he sits and the fact that you have been risen with him. You could ask the question, if you're, if, you're, if you're following, you say, well, where do I go to find these things? Well, look, it says here, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. This is referring, of course, to Jesus' position of authority. He's been exalted over all things. And so to be at the right hand of God, the Father, is a symbol of his power. Jesus' position is regarded as the chief place of honor and power, the right hand of God. And it's more about his position than it is the fact that God the Father doesn't have a body, if you, if you, you, know, if you really want to get technical about it, those theologians among us. But he's in a position of power and honor. So in seeing the invisible, we see Paul writes elsewhere. He says in 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18, Speaking of uh, the challenge that we have in life, he says, therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. But notice verse 18. We do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So we take leave of our senses. We learn to see the unseen. We know in our minds that the Lord Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father. How can we picture Christ presently? Of course, we go to his word. We first see Jesus exalted. Many examples. Here's a few. Now at the Lord's trial before the Sanhedrin, before he was placed on the cross, Jesus stood silent before his accusers, refusing for a while to reply to their questioning. And finally, when Caiaphas, the high priest, declared in Matthew 26, verse 62, as the high priest arose and said to him, Do you answer nothing? What is it that these men, or excuse me, what is it these men testify against you? 
But Jesus kept silent. And the high priest answered him and said to him, I put you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. And finally Jesus said to him, It is as you said. Nevertheless, I say to you, Hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. So that's Jesus. And we can put our minds around that. Jesus exalted. Of course, we know Jesus is Savior. Romans 8, 31 through 33. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. And then finally, as we alluded to earlier, Another picture of Jesus in heaven interceding on our behalf. Romans 8.34. Paul says, who is it who condemns? He continues the thought. It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God and who also makes intercession for us. And as song we sang this morning, we, he also stands sometimes on our behalf, he, as he did for Stephen the martyr, Acts 7, 55 through 56. S speaking of Stephen before he was stoned, it says, but he being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God as he was about to be stoned to death. And so, Paul wants to start out before he lists all the sins and all the things and the do's and don'ts, which we know that are so important to us and we need to hear about them. He wants us to understand how God sees us and how to learn how to see the unseen and realize where we are. And so the result of our identification with Christ is being revealed to us. We've already mentioned that we're raised, but now we're going to learn that we're hidden. We've already mentioned that we're alive in Christ, but we're also going to talk about our glorification, our reward. That's why believer's baptism is such a wonderful expression of this truth. When Jesus arose from the dead, we rose from the deadness of our sin. In him we have conquered death. We've been raised to a new life. The old life in this sinful world is over. It is no longer has a claim on us. We are walking in that new life. We live now in a life that is dead to sin and alive to Him. Alive to righteousness and holiness. And so in verse 2, he says, first, again, he talks about the content of our thought life. He says, to set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. To set your mind or to direct your mind on something. That can be very difficult for us. I know personally, we can, we can get so distracted by life and circumstances and oftentimes what we do to ourselves. And we, we have a hard time concentrating. We have a hard time finding that quiet space. And we have a real hard time uh, just dealing with the life that you know, we're going through, let alone set our mind. And so, you know, that's why it's so important for us to continually ask God the Holy Spirit to fill us, to indwell us. So that we can really get some time and then really purpose to get enough sleep at night so that if your devotional time's in the morning, you're fresh and ready for that. So he says, set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. And, and what he's talking about here 
uh, things of the earth. It's the corrupt desires. Not all things on the earth are evil or bad. Let's not get too carried away. But it's the corrupt desires that we have. Paul repeats the need to concentrate on holy things. And not simply the gates of pearl or the streets of gold that we read about in the book of Revelation. But I, I like what one writer said this. He said, Paul is referring to holiness, righteousness, and Christ. Setting your mind on it. He said, the real battleground is becoming all God wants us to be. And that's won or lost in our minds. What we think about determines what kind of people we will become. Are we talking about a baseball score? What's for dinner? You know, what to wear tonight? Of course not. Of course not. It's the worldly things that draw you and I away from God. And as we'll see next week, these are the things that we need to learn and practice putting them off. Kent Hughes, uh, he, I think a very insightful thing he said about this passage. He said, we see in these verses the great divide in Christian life. What we set our minds on determines our seeking and thus the direction of our Christian lives. What do you think about when you have nothing else to do? Some common sense qualifications are in order here, he writes, because we all variously daydream about our favorite team or a coming vacation or our yard. Sometimes we are under such pressures at home or work that we can scarcely think of anything else. But these things aside, do our minds regularly go up to Christ and the things above? If they do not, we are in trouble. The Bible says for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What will be the divine post-mortem reveal? What will it reveal to be your highest priority? A dress, a fishing pole, or Christ? So that was the first thing we saw. We saw that he wants to set our minds to the content of our thought life. If you're taking notes, that was the first thing. The content of our thought life. The second thing that Paul emphasizes, is our spiritual death and our resurrection. Again, he repeats it. The reason we are to set our minds on the things above, because as I said earlier, in God's eyes, you're dead and your life is hidden in Christ's resurrection. It says in verse 3, For you died and your life is hidden in Christ, with Christ in God. Now this spiritual death, is the habit of putting off worldly and corrupt desires. And it's all because of Jesus' death. So dying and coming to life. Being a born again Christian. As our modern term would spell it out. When you were saved. You were baptized by the Holy Spirit into the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12.13 Jesus died for us as a substitute. Yet we died with him. And that's our spiritual identification that we talked about earlier. Jesus bore the penalty of sin and broke its power. And now, you and I have the ability to have victory over our sin nature. Which is always, and you know this to be true, it is always trying to gain control of your life. Romans 6 explains that we are dead to sin but alive to God. We made an announcement earlier, we're going to have a baptism in September. And, you know, if you're, if you're a Christian and you've 
you've never given your life to the Lord and you never surrendered, if you're, excuse me, if you're a Christian and you have given your life to the Lord and surrendered to salvation, then you should honor him with obedience by getting baptized. And so if you're, if you're thinking about that or the Lord puts it on your heart, uh, baptism, we offer it on occasion. We offer it again here in September. Please come see me. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, please come see me or one of our pastors, Pastor John, or elders in the church, deacons, somebody who may have invited you to church today. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you put yourself under the control of the enemy. You put yourself under the control of fate, if you will. You have no assurance for eternal life with God. But what you are ensuring is that you will spend eternity in hell. And that is not something we want to see anybody have to go through. Now, I know what you're probably thinking, Christian, uh, when we talk about our thought life. You're probably thinking, wow, if you knew my thoughts and struggles, well, you'd find that there's no real room to boast, is there? If we all could read one another's minds, it would be not only freaky, but very scary. <laughs> but there's no room to boast. You know why that's good? Because we need to be truthful and humble with the Lord. We need to come to Him. He knows already what's going on. We read in that passage from Revelation, the eyes of Christ. We had a, a midweek study this week. We saw, watched a great uh, presentation on Revelation about Jesus as who He actually is. You know, a picture of who Christ is presently in heaven. And He sees right through us. But He also sees us with eyes of grace. But don't lose sight of the fact that in God's mind, the way God views things, you are really so dead to sin because of Jesus that you no longer live in this world. You don't even exist. Truthfully, you're not here in a sense, in a spiritual sense. You live for the next world. You live for heaven. It's often said that a dead man cannot sin. Another revealing fact from today's passage is that your life, our life, as a Christian, as a believer, is hidden with Christ in God. Your life is hidden in Him. That word hidden is a Greek word, crypto. And this is, your life is laid up with God in heaven. It's set aside. It's in a safe place. Your eternal life. And this is a present and an ongoing reality for you and I. It's our security and our satisfaction which we find in Christ. We no longer belong to the world and nothing can separate us from His love. Why is your life hidden? Well, in one sense, our spiritual lives are hidden from the world in Christ. And so the next time you wonder why the world doesn't fully understand you, you need to remember what John wrote in 1 John 4, verses 4 through 6. Describing you and I, believers, he said, You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, the world, because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are of the world, therefore they speak as of the world, and the world hears them. We are of God. He who knows God hears us. He who is not of God does not hear us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Again, we go beyond our senses because we have the 
Holy Spirit of God living within us. We're not confined to only what we read or what we learn from what's produced by the world. One writer put it this way, our lives have been hitted with Christ and they remain that way. Because we are in Christ and Christ is in God, we are inseparable and secure. Our lives are part of the above. The world without Christ does not understand the source of our life in Him. There is something genuine about the believer which will tax the brightest intelligence to explain. And then he says this, In Him there is fullness. His fullness has passed into our emptiness. His righteousness into our sinfulness. His life into our death. I agree with that. So have you noticed? According to God's word, we're both dead and alive at the same time. Dead to sin, but alive to Christ. So what are, the, what are some of the practical applications of this thing that we're talking about? You know, this whole um, truth that we're bringing forth. Well, if you're bored with the flat screen or the podcast or social media, you have something that the world does not have. You can open up the Word of God, you can meditate and pray on it, you can memorize it. And those of you who know the power of the Word, you know the peace that surpasses all understanding. You can share it with others. Maybe that unexpected call from the doctor or the test results which came in and now we need to talk again. Or a loved one passes or a job situation that's not good. Whatever it is, just knowing that you are hidden in Christ, eternally secure, brings us peace. And it passes all understanding sometimes. So let's connect the dots. You and I were dead, then raised to life, and now secure, hidden in Christ. What else? Well, the third point and the final point is that we will have a reward for our trust and faith in Christ. Because when the world sees Him return, we will be there with Him. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. Now when you think about this, you know, uh, we in this world, uh, I know many times in my life, we can all uh, pretty much remember when we were in the proximity of somebody famous. Maybe you got on a plane with somebody that's well known. And you all, you know, everybody has a story. You know, I rode on a, I rode on a plane. You won't believe who was sitting on that plane. We want to be associated with those who are famous, oftentimes. You know, in a sense, there's really nothing wrong with that, as long as it's not an idolatry, right? But you're going to have that, if that, think about what the Lord is saying here. When Christ who appears, who are you going to be associated with? Who is the entire world going to see you appear with? The king of the universe. Better than any, greater than any celebrity on any situation on any given day. And you know that. And so he says, when, our, when Christ who is our life appears. Now again, this is an expression. When Christ who is our life. Is Christ your life? Is Christ your life? Eternal life from God that is manifested through Jesus? That's what he's talking about. That, that Zoe. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. Not a mystical substance or essence. It's eternal life given to us as a permanent possession. 
1 John 5.12 says, He who has the Son has life, and he who does not have the Son does not have life. A life, also, we have life in Him, but it's also a life that He maintains. Notice John 6.35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he he who believes in me shall never thirst. So we're going to appear with Him. Jesus is presently unseen in heaven. He is hidden and we are hidden with him, but we will return with him at his second coming. And when he comes, he will be visible. He will be plainly recognized and thoroughly understood by all who and what he is. And so if you're hearing my voice today, if you're here today, Jesus' future appearing is not going to be like his first coming. And the question is, are you ready? Are you ready for Jesus' return? Romans 14, 11, For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, Every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. Philippians 2, 10, And at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth. Are you ready? And for those who know him, you will also be glorified with him. You and I, glorified. We talked about Jesus' appearance in Revelation 1, 7 through 18. It says, then you will also appear with him in glory. Now given Paul's exhortation, how do you view your life in Christ? If you're taking notes, ask yourself the question. How do you view your life in Christ? What things attract you? What things excite you? And do they belong to heaven or earth? You know, maybe your list of all the earthly things and the stuff that you want to do, your do list or your bucket list or whatever it is, your shopping list, maybe it's a whole lot bigger and longer than your thoughts on heaven and your thoughts on Jesus. And what about the promise of appearing with him in glory? Right now our lives are hidden in Christ, but our future appearance will be like his. Philippians 3, 20 through 21. He says, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which you are also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body, that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Paul's last letter to Timothy, right before his death, Paul held fast to the promise that when death finally came to him, that God would, in that moment, that instant of death, God would fix his mind on heaven and immediately transport him to this heavenly kingdom, to paradise. I don't have a slide for this, but Paul declared this in 2 Timothy 4.18. He says, And the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. Every evil work. That includes all the thoughts and the negativity and all the things that you struggle with. God's going to fix your mind and get you ready and bring you straight to heaven. That's your promise. And then he closes with him, to him be glory forever and ever. 
So what do we know? Today, what did we learn? We learned something we already knew, but we were reminded. We died in Christ. We are raised with Him. We live in Christ. We are hidden in Christ. We will be glorified in Christ. What are we to do? How you make it our habit to put our attention on things above. How you start. How you end your day. Even the simple everyday affairs should be brought before the Lord in prayer. And don't forget your devotional time. Recognize the position that you hold in Christ. Seated with the Lord in heaven. Because one day he's going to come and take his church home. We're going to learn about that. We're going to talk about that in our next book at Thessalonians. And let's, all of us, pray that we maintain our affection for things above through the word, through prayer, through worship, and through service unto him. Amen? Amen. We're going to transition now over to our time of communion. And the worship team's going to come up and uh, we're going to make our communion tables available. If you've never been here, we have the two communion tables and we have uh, communion stations in the back as well. And we wanted to make some time for communion today, not as an afterthought, but something that's very important. Thank you. Before we begin our communion service time, a few words. I would like to, as a fellowship of like-minded believers... Remind us, of course, what you already know again, that we practice and celebrate two ordinances, water baptism, which we talked about, the schedule for that, but also we take communion once a month. And these were given to us by the Lord for the public declaration of faith, which is baptism. And then today, our communion of remembrance of Jesus' work on the cross. It's an application of seeking and setting our minds on things above that we talked about today. And we get to do it together, corporately. When the Lord said, do this in remembrance of me, this is not simply an obituary in memory of. But it is the affection of calling of Jesus himself to mind. Thank you, Tim. Thank you. Through communion, we see the past, the present, and the future. In the past, Jesus came to set us free from sin and death by living a perfect life. In the present, we see the symbols that represent the Christian life, reminding us that his blood was shed and his body was broken for the remission of sins. In the future, we have the prophecy, till he comes. Let's dim the lights and get ready for communion time. Paul said that in verse 23 of 1 Corinthians 11, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took the bread. So he starts. And what I like to do with this passage is 
read it backwards. We have the passage. I like to kind of read it in a, in a kind of a broken up sense. Starting with verse 26. It says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. And this is a balanced proclamation. It's not just a simple memory of him dying for us, but it's a much sweeter thought of his return. The Christ who died is the Christ who lives, says one writer, and he must be lived upon by the Christian. The Christ who was for us is also the Christ who is in us. In verse 27 of 1 Corinthians 11, he says, Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. An unworthy manner refers not to our sin and need for forgiveness, but it speaks of a careless, irreverent attitude about what we're about to do. If you don't claim Christ as Savior or you're just going through the motions, you're in effect committing a crime against the very thing that these symbols represent. In Paul's writing, it's an also an exhortation, verses 28 through 32. He says, But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the world. So the Lord has a place and a proper preparation for us as we come to the table today, corporately. So as the worship team presents our closing song, I would ask that for each of us, please take some time to, of course, retrieve the elements, return to your seat, but then let's spend some time in prayer to the Lord before we partake together. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for what you're about to do, and we ask, Lord God, that you would cleanse our hearts once again. Thank you once again for providing these things for us as we express our faith together as brothers and sisters in Christ. I pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. And there's an old wooden cross on top of a hill there's a grave that's been empty for thousands of years. There is grace and forgiveness at the table, he said. The Father's love poured out for us, and we won't forget. Flesh and bone, blood and timber, bread and wine, we remember. Hearts of stone, slaved in prison, find their freedom in surrender. The veil was torn, the gates swing open, the battle's won, the war is over. Flesh and bone, blood and timber, bread and wine, we remember. Never ask for anything, you just 
wanted our heart You say the price you pay for us Was worth every scar Still you meet us with mercy In our shame and in our sin The Father's love poured out for us Again and again Flesh and bone, blood and timber Bread and wine Remember hearts of stone, slaved in prison, found the freedom in surrender. The veil was torn, the gates swing open, the battle's won, the war is over. Flesh and bone, blood and timber, bread and wine, we remember. can separate what the good Lord brings together if you know his love then raise your cup hallelujah we remember nothing can separate what the good Lord brings together if you know his love then raise your cup hallelujah we remember nothing can separate what the good lord brings together if you know his love and raise your cup hallelujah we remember flesh and bone blood and timber bread and wine we remember hearts of stone slaves in prison found the freedom and surrender the veil was torn the and bone, blood and timber, bread and wine, we remember flesh and bone, blood and timber, bread and wine, we remember. given thanks he broke the bread and he said take and eat this is my body which is broken for you do this in remembrance of me in the same manner he also took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So Father, we thank you once again for refreshing us by your spirit through your word and by this sacrament of communion. Lord, we we so treasure the fellowship that we share in you. May we never take it for granted, Lord. Each of us 
that knows you as Lord and Savior will spend eternity together worshiping you and glorifying you for all, all of our days. We thank you, Lord, that we can celebrate that together today. Go before us now. We pray a blessing on each and every family and household that's represented here today. Lord, just gird us up and strengthen us for whatever it is we have planned for the week. May we do it with the knowledge and the love and the hope that we share in Christ. Let us grow in you each and every day. Seek your face. We pray this all in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Thank you for joining us today for Calvary Chapel Elizabeth City's online sermon series. Join us next week as we continue through the Bible, book by book, verse by verse, line by line. God bless.